Hello everybody, this is Rachel Treese on Flex in the City this afternoon and today it is my great pleasure to welcome Lee Godfrey and Lee is the Managing Director of Western Europe for the Intertrust Group. A very big welcome to you Lee. Good afternoon Rachel and thank you for having me on board. You're very, very welcome. And you, you may wonder why we invited you to come on Flex in the City. I had to think about it because we have had one of your colleagues on Flex in the City um, quite recently, um, Stephanie Miller, who is the CEO of the Intertrust Group. But I have to admit, I was very, very inspired by your leadership during the COVID crisis. And so for that reason, it is our great pleasure to have you on the show today. So thank you for joining us. Thank you. Love to know a little bit about you and your story and, uh, you know, about what happened with, with COVID. So first of all, just tell us a little bit about yourself so our listeners can learn and find out a bit more about you. Okay, and that might well shape a bit of the, the story towards COVID as well. So I started working in 1988, very much in technology and voice recognition and RF technology and stayed in the Alps for about eight years. Um, I then went back to the London, um, worked in the city for another 10 years, transforming businesses from one business, in fact, from analog to digital. Um, we were, took it public, we took it private, sold it to private equity. And then while I was on a bit of a gap, I came over here to Luxembourg to work with a small, uh, very innovative family run business, uh, which I thoroughly enjoyed for 11 years. Again, transforming that business and implementing technology. And then seven months ago, Stephanie offered me the opportunity to join Intertrust Group, where I'm thoroughly enjoying the opportunity to transform what is quite a, uh, let's say, an old business. Absolutely. So, so tell us a little bit about this, this experience you've had during COVID and, and, and how you've been as a, as a leader. What has been your experience? What have you learned? I guess it hit several phases. Um, as, as a leadership team, we reacted very, very quickly. I remember calls every single day leading up to the lockdowns. We'd obviously had a bit of a, uh, a warning from our colleagues in Asia, um, but we were, we were having calls every day to make sure that our people were safe. Um, three o'clock every day, including Sundays, I remember them uh, vividly. And, uh, and that's really where we focused first and foremost. And, and, and really once lockdown hit us, we thought about, okay, how do we keep people safe? Let's get them home as quickly as possible. Let's make sure that the technology works. And the technology was always working. We just weren't sure of the scale. Um, and in fact, the, one of the largest scale problems we had was not enough laptops. So um, the MDs of each country were running around buying Google Chromes off of Amazon or off down to the local um, computer store. That's why I couldn't get one. Exactly, we'd beaten you to it. Um, but we gave everyone monitors, mice, uh, keyboards. Nobody really knew how long it would last, but we just expected it to last for the foreseeable. So we made sure everyone was, was well. Um, so once everyone was home safe and, and tech enabled, uh, it kind of moved on to the next phase where we really started thinking about the people. And this is probably what you saw, um, is we use social media a lot to, to promote what we were doing, but the fundamental reason we were doing it is because we wanted to make sure we stayed engaged with our with our teams and our people and we've got a lot of relatively younger people that are either sharing apartments or or on their own in a, an apartment we wanted to make sure that they didn't feel alone so immediately the first week the c-suites phoned 10 people totally random we gave them random people they never had necessarily spoken to before so you mentioned stephanie miller when she phones people that have never heard from her before um, it was a really honest and human moment because it's two human beings saying are you okay? Um, and that respect that 
went in both directions was saying, yes, I am okay, but I could do with this, allowed Stephanie to really understand what was happening. And all of us, you know, I, I, was, I was speaking to people I'd never spoken to before. And because of the positive feedback we got from that, we carried on. Um, the same week, we also did the same thing for clients, not because we were trying to you know, be smart. We were just phoning our clients saying, is everything okay? Don't worry, we're at home, we're tech enabled, but how are you? What are you doing? And it became a really human interaction, not a business focused one. So that was really, really powerful. Um, and then we started daily standups. So I'm a big fan of agile anyway, retrospective thinking and, you know, seeing a failure, responding quickly and, and correcting, correcting behavior as a result. And that managed to instigate a rhythm that I was to so my manager directors in all the countries and my Western European team join me every morning. My face is the first thing they get to see, uh, lucky them, uh, every day for a daily standup. And I did run this for a few weeks and you know, what happened yesterday? What have we gone for today? Can I remove any blockers? And uh, after about two or three weeks, I asked them, look, okay, I think we're stable now, we're safe. Do you want this to carry on or should we go back to maybe twice a week or once a week? And they all in unanimously said, no, we want to carry on because it keeps you engaged, keeps you in contact. And I can thoroughly see that happening when we go back to the office exactly the same way. We always run monthly town halls. We now do them digitally. In fact, our digital town halls are probably more interactive than they were when we were doing them face-to-face. -face. So, you know, standing in an auditorium of 400 people, some people are a little bit shy to put their hand up. But if you're on a, on a MS Teams or we use GoToWebinar for that one, um, people are allowed to ask questions throughout the conversation. So if something you say sparks a question, if you're in a room, you might keep it yourself. Here they don't, which allows, again, us to learn so much more as leadership, but also them to express their concerns, their ideas, their, their thoughts. Um, I think we've onboarded something like 70 people during lockdown Wow! and all of those that's just in Luxembourg so I think you know further afield we've, we've brought on you know probably well over 100 people in the last three months um, and we've done it all virtually so there's people that have been working with us for three months that have never been to the office and that, that's that's a huge success in terms of our HR team and what they managed to onboard but you know uh, the individuals and what they're embracing and then our leaders as well in terms of being able to contribute to that training and then, then we started realizing we need to do some more fun stuff. So we sent out thank you cards and Easter cards. Uh, last month we sent, because it started to drag on, we took everyone and people are working hard at home. So we sent them all a card and the Kit Kats and told them to take a break. Um, we've run virtual hoppy hours, we've run bingo. Um, we, we asked a few colleagues to send in videos of passing an item from one person to another. And we didn't orchestrate it. We just said, just I'll give you the order of purse people and they just work out between them what they pass. And we passed bottles of beer, glasses of wine, getting off that theme, iPods, books, chairs, um, cats. And, and it went from Netherlands to Luxembourg and then over to the United States and across all the islands, you know, Cayman, Curacao. And that triggered a whole series of other social media driven events that just made people feel as if even though we are not in the office seeing each other, we're still remaining connected and, and, and in touch with each other. Has that um, affected, you know, all of that work that you've done? Has that affected sick leave at all? Has it affected productivity? Do you have any stats on that? Yeah, interesting. We, we, we know exactly, obviously, we're, we're a data-driven business, and so we've got data on everything. Um, sick leave has dropped by 70% since we went into lockdown. Now, it's too early to tell whether that's just because people feel more healthy and obviously they're too scared to go to the doctor and get a sick note. Or it could be that people pulling a sickie on a Monday no longer need to because they're already at home in bed. But um, the general feedback we get is very much 
you know, thank you for looking after us. We'll look after you. We're in a better state We're with our family. And lockdown's difficult for us all. You know, it's uh, it's not just that you're at home. It's you can't go out. There is no social interaction. So we tried to remedy that with digital. And it's, it's only, it can only be done for a foreseeable future. But post-lockdown, I thoroughly expect it to continue. And I hope that the sick leave drops as a result of it. When we, when we did a survey back in September before I joined, two of the biggest elements were remote working and flexibility and also social interaction. And so we've been able to fix a lot of that, not necessarily intentionally, but we've been able to fix a lot of it. Fantastic. So I'm now going to move on to you and your leadership style. You probably know if you've listened to a few of the flex in the cities that I always do a little bit of research, Lee. So you've got to wait for it. Um, so I've asked a few people if they could describe your leadership style and they have said the following, thoughtful, measured, fast paced, definitely not command and control, partnership orientated, empowering, people orientated, and consistent so you can <laughs> glow in that for a moment very clearly didn't talk to my wife um <laughs> but I, I that's not true she would say the same i'm sure um i, I think I've, I've always said for many many years that the, the typical hierarchy um demonstrated in org chart is up the wrong way you know the people that make a difference to an organization the people doing the job I, i'm just a connector um, I'm just someone that removes blockers and enables people to get a job done. We spoke before about the, um, the agile working. It, I can't change a blocker, but I can remove a blocker. I can't identify the blockers. I'm not doing the work day and day, but I can remove that blocker. So it really is about listening to people, understanding how I can make them more performance, how I can remove issues they might face, be it professional, technological, uh, client-driven, organizational-driven, personally-driven. And, and I think just listening to people and building that trust allows you to learn so much more and move the organization faster. Command and control, I, I, it's, it's a terminology I absolutely hate, so I don't know who mentioned that to you, but you know, command and control means that you've only got a small group of people making decisions. Agile means you push everything out into the organization and you've got three and a half thousand people making a difference. And that's what the power of an organization is. Yeah, so you're really talking about holacracy when you, you, you talk about this, this, this vision. My, my other favorite term, exactly. Uh, you know, when, when you've got a common purpose and a, a common goal, you don't need hierarchy to tell you what to get, what to get done. You know, when you're with your friends, there's no hierarchy, but you've got an objective, you'll always get there. And I think that's what organizations miss sometimes. You don't do something because it's your boss that tells you to do it. If you do, that will only be sustainable for a period of time and they won't go beyond what they've been asked to do. If you've got a common purpose, people will think out of the box. They'll find different ways of getting you to the end goal. And it, it, it helps that diversity of thinking in, in many, many ways, rather than just saying, you know, the boss tells you how to do it. And it, it just doesn't work. So that, that's the kind of holocratic organization I would like to build around me. Unfortunately, most HR systems uh, require a hierarchy of some description. Um, but I've always said to people, if you're three levels below, Stephanie or me, then it doesn't stop us both being human beings and we expect and hope you will talk to us about your concerns, your ideas, your thoughts. And we have many examples of it since I joined uh, Interjust, in fact, you know, people that come to me day in, day out with ideas and some of them are crazy, some of them are great and we've implemented quite a few. Mm. A powerful coaching question, Lee. What's your purpose? When, when I came to Interjust, um, I just felt that there was no pride in working for Interjust. I felt as if people came in to do a job and we spoke about purpose, I would like to inspire everyone to have a purpose. They come to work, 
because they want to drive a purpose in what they're doing and what our organization is delivering to the community and the global community as, as a whole. Um, I also stated to several times, and I say it since, I would love Interjust to become a great place to work. When you're talking with your mates in the pub on a Friday evening and you say, I work for Interjust, the response was not, who, where's your office? Are you lots of people? To, wow, that's a cool company. I'd love to come and work with you. And that's really what I'd like to strive is that the people that work for Intertrust understand the purpose of the organization and, and transform that into their own purpose. Absolutely. And do you do anything with um, engagement surveys or anything like that really to get, you know, a finger on what's going on? Yeah, we, well, I mentioned that survey we did back in September. Um, I've now instigated it every two weeks. So we have a selection of 60 questions all about culture, strategy, performance, uh, teamwork, personal career developments and those questions are randomized and we ask every single person every two weeks six or seven questions so mm -hmm. i as across the 1300 people in western europe have a view on what the general thinking is and it's random so over a period of 14 weeks everyone would have answered every question and that gives me a finger on the pulse that's what we call it our pulse surveys um, and it's anonymized so people feel as if they can speak up in many many terms and, and I try and respond, you know, their feedback is a gift and therefore I respond to that gift with response to their comments. And I encourage all the managers to do the same thing. So if, if somebody says I'm struggling with X, Y, Z, or I've got an idea in this, we'll respond there and there out. And the engagement that's created, especially during COVID, has been phenomenal. The ideas that come out of it, the change, and you know, obviously part of that gives you an engagement level, an engagement score. And that engagement score is gen gently ticking upwards for a, a company that's been around for 70 years with lots of lawyers and accountants and technical people. They yeah. started to think differently around what they can achieve as an individual and as a team. And that feedback they're getting from the leadership around the whole organization, not just me, is, is very powerful. Very good. So I'm now going to move on to who's inspired you, Lee. Is there an inspiring um, leader either in financial services or outside of financial services that has really inspired you in life? I, I did think about this and there, there, were, there were many, many, and I, I, I take little um, snippets from lots of them. Um, but in general, I get inspired from the people I work with and I engage with every day. So every day my, my management style is very much to walk the floor and people see me invisible they stop and they, they they give me feedback they give me ideas and that inspires me every day the creativity that's within every organization that is sometimes ignored um is is a big loss and so that that's and and look when when you do it um digitally it's very hard to walk a floor but that's why we've done so much positive engagement via uh, webinars and and video conferencing to try and maintain that level of connectivity and thought. So, yeah, I think the people that, and this has been throughout my whole career, you know, be it been in the ski resorts, the hotels, the city of London, or here in Luxembourg, or any of the countries uh, in Western Europe, I've, wonderful ideas come out of people that you least think it sometimes. Mm, fantastic. And, and so, you know, right, right now, you know, we're in a challenging time, we're about to come out of covid lockdowns um we're coming out of it some in some way shape or form what are the skills that you think lee are needed by financial services right now at this time in our history um well we, we are coming out of it and four out of the five countries in my area have gone back to the office at least in some capacity and it's interesting because we we allowed 160 people to go back in week one and only 95 went back despite the fact that they were absolutely desperate to get back and see their colleagues and friends 
you know, 60 of them said, well, actually, I'm very happy working from home. I'm more productive working from home, so I'm going to continue to do so. And that mindset is a, is a shift. And, and that will be one impact we need to deal with, the agility of remote working, the trust that that needs to engage as well. You know, the, go back to that command and control. Well, if he's not in the office, he can't be working. It's not true. We've seen the statistics. Our productivity levels are higher than they were prior to COVID. So we trust our people and they're, and they're doing a good job. So we will maintain that. But as the financial service industry itself, we're going to see the largest intergenerational shift of wealth we've ever seen so from from the baby boomers to the millennials that are now going to inherit their parents property that they don't need because they've already got jobs what are they going to do with that money so after they've sort of bought the fast cars on a flat screen tv they're going to invest in what they believe is important so again it comes back to purpose what are they going to do yeah. so covid i think will accelerate that you know the water's clean in venice now um, we see the air purified across the whole of europe and all the great cities i think people will continue to to, to strive in that direction and therefore financial services will not be given the choice but they will have to listen to their customers they won't be here just to make the 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 the, the good revenue that we've created over the last 30 40 years in financial services they will need to respond to the needs of the millennials and and the subsequent generations that will be looking for a different outcome a different you know a, a planet that's more safe it's not about jumping on a jet to the caribbean every week although i'm sure that will still be there in some guys, but the focus will be very much about you know what's been framed as ESG, but it'll be not just to comply with the regulation or the market demands of ESG, but the real underlying common purpose of what's the right thing to do. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, so you, you're probably aware that on Flex in the City, we've had a lot of sportsmen and women who are also financial services leaders, and I understand that you are a hockey player, leader, <laughs> yeah, the, the, the nice thing about hockey is you can play right up until you. I used to play hockey with a guy who played in goal at the age of 85, so there's hope for me yet. Um, and when I came to Luxembourg, it became a real opportunity for me to mix and mingle with people from all sorts of different backgrounds. And hockey is a sport that has respect for other people. It's a team game, um, but there is no, not even an open mouth back to the referee or the opposition. It's, yes, it's supposed to be non-physical, but obviously... It, People have seen the injuries it is physical but it's a very respectful sport and so there is always a third half and it builds a huge relationship around the people that play it and the people around the sport it's very much a family sport it's boys and girls and you know, we, we've started a real successful youth program in Luxembourg where we've got over 150 kids playing hockey now and, and, it, and, it, and it brings people from all sorts of backgrounds and all sorts of nationalities because it's, it's an easy sport to pick up it's, it's an intelligent sport, it's hand and, and mind coordination, plus you've got to run a lot, so it keeps you fit. So I think it's, it's a great sport, and uh, it brings back the, the right elements of building a community around uh, a pastime. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and so, so to, to sort of finish things, you, you've mentioned, um, Lee, a lot about the importance of, of people vis-a-vis um, technology and I know that you worked in technology for many years and in transformation I, I just wondered if you have any examples at all about the power of truly understanding people which is what leadership is all about I think if you ask anyone when I talk about transformation transformation is about people it's not about technology there's lots of technology out there that can do all sorts of wonderful things but unless you understand the people you're not going to get behavioral change you need um, when I was back in like, 89, 90, I think it was, I was, I was in a ski resort in the Centre Massif, um, so Mondor, and the ski resort was run by the mayor. 
as obviously the mayor is dependent on uh, votes and he had an issue because he was losing money through fraud. So he engaged our company to put in RF technology. Um, we put in the readers and we allowed him flexible ticketing and real marketing thought around skiing and how you could attract the attention of people from cities nearby for you know, non-consecutive tickets and hours tickets and points tickets and all that cool stuff. And the readers looked all new and modern. So for someone like the Mondo, it was a really cool thing to do. And the mayor was very excited. So I went there for the grand opening and I went up on the first day and my beautiful radar readers had been um, dismantled. And I asked the mayor, well, what's happening? He said, well, there was a scandal last night because the guy that usually skis couldn't ski, the local boulanger, um, brought his bottle of whiskey to the lift operator so he could ski for the season and he wasn't allowed because there's no button for whiskey. So um, they took off the readers. So that we, we, managed, we, we managed to fix a technical a, a, a risk problem, a fraud problem with technology. We hadn't got in the minds of the people. We could have got much more engagement and buy-in from the local community, had you know, maybe a free, free ski pass for the boulanger, I don't know, but we hadn't thought about the behavioral change that the technology was gonna drive. And that's a real, been a real lesson for me throughout the whole career is you know, technology is, is an enabler changes about people. Absolutely. Lee Godfrey, uh, Managing Director of um, Western Europe Intertrust Group. Thank you so much for joining us on Flex in the City. It's all from hockey to holacracy. So thank you so much for joining us, Lee. Thank you, Rachel. Thank you.